Our guide for the last two weeks in Israel is a young man by the name of Aaron. We were able to speak with his wife and, uh, and three children during the week. They came and joined him at one point. He was originally from Belgium, and so he speaks his native tongue is French. He also speaks uh, Hebrew and English. Uh, I was reminded of two verses in the New Testament when I heard his three-year-old daughter come up to him and was yanking on his pant leg and going, Abba, Abba. <laughs> Those two verses speak of our familiar relationship with God when we trust Christ as our Savior. We are adopted into his family. We are his children. Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the bondage of the Old Testament law. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4.6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I don't know what your home life was like growing up, but I do know that when you were placed into the family of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were put into a family with a loving Father. will never make a mistake in how he provides for you or protects you or disciplines you fairly, how he gives you the guidance and the advice that you need throughout life. He does all things for our good and for his glory. What a wonderful father we have. James Cash Penny, who started the J.C. Penny stores, most of you shopped there or used to. We used to call it the famous French designer, J.C. Penny. Uh, when he was a young man, beginning in business, he started with some uh, mistakes and some bad business choices. And as a result, he was dealing with some severe depression. He worried so much that he developed, uh, physically developed shingles. His doctor admitted him to the hospital. His condition grew worse. One night, he was given a sedative that wore off too quickly. And he woke up thinking that he, this was his last night. He was indeed dying. And he wrote letters saying goodbye to his family. And then he drifted off to sleep. He was surprised to wake up the next morning. He thought he really wasn't going to survive through the night. That morning, he heard people singing. They were singing a hymn, God Will Take Care of You. And he followed their voices into a chapel. And he listened to the singing and then heard the message. And something happened. He later said, I realized then that I alone was responsible for my troubles I knew that God, with his love, was there to help me. He said from that day forward, he was freed from worry, from anxiety. It was all because he realized that wonderful truth, God will take care of you. I'd like to speak this morning on resting in the Father's care. One of the clearest texts on God's providential care is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. We've been there before, but I want it to be a reminder to us today of how to trust and rely on our great Father's care. Section comes as Jesus is teaching what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5 of Matthew and goes through chapter 7. There are the similitudes, the Beatitudes, blessed are they, I think there are eight of them, and then the similitudes as salt and, and as light, you're the light of the world. And then when we get to chapter 6, it begins in how, how to pray correctly. 
In verse 8, be not like unto them, those that think they're heard for many words or much praying, repetitions. But he says, your father knoweth the things ye have need of before ye ask him. What a wonderful father that is. And then in verses 19 through 24, how to know the true value of things. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay rather those treasures up in heaven. And then in verses 24 to 34, how to trust in the providential care of God. In this passage, Jesus teaches about how foolish it is, the futility of worry, and the necessity of trusting in God's provisions. Before we get to that text, we're going to have four points in our outline this morning, but I'd like to give one outline to just go through some scripture verses that tell us about uh, what it's like to be in the family of God. Uh, and, and that happens uh, in, in something that the Bible terms as the new birth, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the new birth. So point number one this morning, in order to rest in the father's care, you must first of all be his child. You must be in his family. Let's look at what the Bible says about being born again. For some, these verses are very familiar. You've memorized them. You've shared them with others. For others, these verses may shed light on what can take place and needs to take place in your own heart by God's grace. So the first thought is we're all sinners. We are born into this world as sons of Adam. Adam's sin plunged the entire human race into sin. And as a consequence, we all deserve death, both physical and eternal separation from God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, that was Adam, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. We can't just blame Adam, we are sinners ourselves. There was one who came to die and provide salvation through his death, Romans 5.15. But not, but not as the offense, speaking of Adam's sin in the context, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many." So Adam plunged the human race into sin. Jesus Christ came to redeem us from that sin. Christ obeyed the Father perfectly. And through that obedience, he provided righteousness for all who would call on him. Romans 5.19 For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many, many be made righteous. He did the Father's will. He went to Calvary for you, for me. Jesus told Nicodemus, you know, how, how are we supposed to have that new birth? He said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. It's by this new birth that God places us into his family, John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This new birth has eternal ramifications. This is the last passage, 1 John 3, 1, through 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. 
Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Is God your father? If not, the Bible clearly says he can be. You can be born into the family of God through the new birth, repent of your sin, trust the work of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, let God place you into his family through that new birth. God may be working in your heart right now, and you said, yeah, I've, I've known what I needed to do, and I put that off all my life. Today can be the day of your salvation. You can come and trust Christ, be adopted into the family of God, and he'll be your father, Abba, Father. So in order to rest in a father's care, in the father's care, you need to, first of all, be in the family of God. You need to be his child. Now let's look at Matthew 6, 24. And our second point, in order to rest in the Father's care, you must make Christ your master. Oh, well, here's a different step in our spiritual walk with Christ. That is, you say, I willingly submit to you, Lord, as the, as the leader, the, the master, the ruler, the king of my life. Whatever your word tells me to do, that's what I want to do. I'm going to obey. You've purchased me with your own blood. You have every right to tell me how I should live my life. And I want to be your servant from now on. For some, making Christ your master takes place immediately as you're saved. You understand that. I'm going to accept Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And you just turn over everything to him, all the keys of your life. For others, it may be a time after you're saved. But you realize that you need, at some point in your Christian walk, to fully surrender all that you have to Christ. You learn what it means to follow him. You come to a place where you surrender everything to him. Well, let's look at the text. We'll read the first two verses, Matthew 6, 24 and 25. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot, it's a categorical, state, categorical statement, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your, for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Jesus gives this simple yet absolute truth. No one can serve two masters. No one. There are no exceptions to that rule. There's not a person alive who can serve two masters. Now you say, well, I've had a couple of jobs. I've worked two jobs. Some of you even three jobs at a time. We're not talking about part-time employment. The word for serve means to, to serve as a slave, either voluntary or involuntarily, Service that is devoted 24 hours a day, seven days a week to one master. Well, now I, I understand why this statement is made. No one can serve two masters, two lords, because only one can have absolute control of every moment of your life. The statement is explained. If you try serving both, you'll end up Loving one master, and it says hating, it's a comparative word, loving the other master less. If you try serving both, you'll end up holding to one and despising or literally thinking against the other. That is, you weigh out what each master is saying, and you say, I'd rather obey this task today than the other master. 
the masters are specified, you cannot serve God and mammon. That's an Aramaic word for money. One author writes, the orders of those two masters are diametrically opposed and cannot coexist. The one commands us to walk by faith, and the other demands that we walk by sight. The one calls us to be humble, and the other to be proud. The one to set our minds on things above, and the other to set them on things below. One calls us to love light, the other to love darkness. The one tells us to look toward things unseen and eternal, the other to look at things seen and temporal. To which master are you devoted? What's most important in your life? God or wealth? Here's the conclusion. When you make Jesus your master and your Lord, you'll discover that he provides for you everything that you need. Isn't that an amazing thing? You, people that search for wealth so that they can take care of all the things that they think they need will always be chasing a dream. You come to Christ, you make him the king and lord of your life, he'll give you everything that you need. Before you'll ever find the security in God's provision, you need to come to a place where you know that Jesus Christ is your sole authority. Is he your king today? Is he your master? Is he your lord? The third point today, in order to rest in the Father's care, you must stop worrying. We find that in verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now what does it mean to, to take no thought? It doesn't mean that you can take everything off your to-do list and forget about any deadlines. A lot of us think, well, that would, that would solve my problems with anxiety and with worry if I just didn't do anything. The Bible tells us that if anyone wants to eat, he needs to work, 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So we need to think ahead. We need to work. We need to save and be good stewards of what God gives us. But we must always know that in the end of the day, it's God who provides. Take no thought doesn't mean uh, not to do anything. It means don't be anxious or don't worry. When you've done all that you can, but God sees fit to, on that day, let you go without those things that you thought you needed. You can still trust him. He will always provide what you need. Not necessarily what you want, but exactly what you need. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. Many of you have read his life story. He gave this advice. Let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all, right into God's hand. And then, when we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to be troubled about. <laughs> in order to rest in the Father's care, we need to stop worrying. How is it stated? Three times in the text, Jesus says, take no thought. You'll find it in verse 25, in verse 31, and in verse 34. Our English word for worry comes from a, an old English word that means to choke or to strangle. What a great description. Have you ever felt that way in your day? Everything just seems to be pressing in on you and you just feel like somebody's got their arm, their hands around your throat. They're choking you. 
Dr. Alvarez, a stomach specialist at the Mayo Clinic, says that 80% of the stomach disorders that come to them stem from wrong mental and spiritual attitudes. He claims that most of our ills are caused by worry and fear and says faith is more important than food in the cure for stomach ulcers. <laughs> I thought it was what I ate. How can you have victory over worry? It's said that the opposite of worry is trust. If you trust God completely, you'll find that you have nothing to worry about. If you're filled with anxiety, you've stopped putting your faith in the protection and provision of an almighty God. George Mueller used to say, where anxiety begins, faith ends. And where faith begins, anxiety ends. Let's learn to trust. What are we told specifically not to worry about? Here is a list of things in verse 25. Uh, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. That list is again reiterated in verse 31. Take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or drink, or, what sh- or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Here's a list of three things that people have worried about since the creation of man. Where's my next meal coming from? What am I going to drink? What am I going to, to wear? Those are the basic needs of life. And that, that word for wear there, perhaps not even clothing, it could be talking about shelter. What will I put over my head? Jesus begins a series of arguments here to, to help us to see that God will take care of every need on every level. Whatever you're worried about right now, God says, stop worrying. Start trusting me. Here are his arguments against worrying in verses 25 at the very end um, to, to verse 30. An argument, first of all, from the greater to the lesser. Those of you who know logical arguments know that this is a, a, one of the ways that we can uh, make an argument. For 25C, is not the life more than meat, and the body than, understood, more than raiment. The life is more than food. He's saying if God created your life, if he gives you the ability to breathe, doesn't, doesn't it make sense that he's going to be able to give you food to sustain your life. God's the giver of life. He can sustain it. Again, from the greater to the lesser. And then the body more than clothes. If God created your body, don't you think he can provide you something to wear and clothe that body in? Don't worry, because God who did the greater can do the lesser. And then an argument based on God's providential care of all of his creation in verse 26. Here, it's from the lesser to the greater, the opposite way. If God takes care of the little things, don't you think he can take care of you? The birds are an illustration of how God provides food. Verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? If he takes care of all those little birds that come flying through your neighborhood, he'll surely take care of you. Are ye not much better than they? There's another passage in Matthew 10, 31, where Jesus says that two sparrows are sold for a farthing, and not one of them falls to the ground without your father, the, the understood word, without your father knowing that. 
And then he says in verse 31 of Matthew 10, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Think of that the next time you see a bird. God cares for that bird, and he cares much more for you. An argument from the lesser to the greater. And then in verse 27, an argument from the the idea that it's futile to worry. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, I know teenagers, especially young men who want to play basketball, are thinking, how can I put myself on a rack? I want to get taller. I want to stretch myself. He's probably not talking about height in in this verse. He's probably talking about the length of your life. And how many people today think, well, how can I be healthy enough to live longer? The fact that you worry about daily provisions is not going to prolong your life at all. The supply of food, water, and clothes, those basic needs are not affected by how much or how little you worry about them. They're given by the gracious supply of a loving father. Now he gives an illustration, another illustration about his providential care. This time he turns to the flowers to help us understand his care. And here again, an argument from the lesser to the greater. The flowers illustrate how God provides things that we need to wear. Verse 28, and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Here's a call to consider the lilies of the field. Uh, Solomon in all his glory, you remember, was the queen of Sheba who visited. And she had heard about Solomon's wisdom, about his acts, the things that he did. And when she had seen it all, she said, the half has not been told. Solomon, in all his glory, isn't arrayed like the flowers that we see. There's a book written by Hannah Zeller in 1876. It was entitled, Wild Flowers of the Holy Land. And in it, she illustrates 54 species of flowers. But she recorded 1,300 flowering plants that grow in Israel. Most of the flowers come to life in January and February when they have the the rainy season there. And a thousand, she writes this way, a thousand brilliant flowers, chiefly of bulbous plants, convert the uniform drab-colored livery of the country during its long dry season into a gaudy carpet as varied as the patterns of a kaleidoscope. (laughs) What a great picture. Those flowers don't work to be beautiful. But they display the beauty of God's design. Even Solomon's external glories couldn't compare with the colors, the simple beauty of these flowers. We also see that they're temporary. They're going to dry up like grass. They'll be used to heat the clay ovens. At the end of verse 30, Jesus asks a rhetorical question, and it includes a rebuke. Shall he not much more clothe you? And then he says, O ye of little faith. At the heart of worry is a lack of faith, unbelief. The cure to worry is trust. 
The conclusion of the arguments, verses 31 and 32, God knows all about your need and he'll provide. Wherefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? In this parenthetical statement, verse 32, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Everybody seeks those. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. He's your Father. Twelve times in chapter 6 of Matthew, we read those words, your Father. The Father provides for his own. If you're a child of God, he will provide all of your needs. He's your heavenly father. A heavenly father knows perfectly what your needs are. He doesn't have the the human limitations of earthly fathers. Your heavenly father. He knows what your needs are because he's an omniscient father. He knows your needs better than you do. He's omniscient, so he knows all about your needs. He's omnipotent so that he can provide all those needs. And he's loving and caring, so he won't hold back anything that you need. You must be his child. In order to rest in the Father's care, you must be his child. You must make Christ your master. You must stop worrying. And last, in order to rest in the Father's care, you must believe his promise. Verses 33 and 34. Verse 33 words the promise. Verse 34 reinforces for the third time the commandment that we've seen in this text. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Modern psychologists will tell you several things about how to, how to reduce your anxiety, how to deal with stress. They say find something that you can do that will distract you from the, the things that are giving you those difficulties, making you worry in life. They'll tell you to release those tensions through uh, exercise, uh, through quiet meditation, uh, through music. What does God say? He tells us to seek two things. To seek means to Keep these as the focus of your life. Seek his kingdom. What does that mean? It means to submit to his will. He is the king. You kneel before him. You say, Lord, you are my master. Seek his kingdom and seek to live according to his righteousness. His kingdom and his righteousness. And he makes this promise. Once you do, once you set your focus on those two things, his kingdom in in your life, You'll obey him in everything. His righteousness, you'll go by his word that he tells us how we ought to live. He makes this promise, all these things shall be added unto you. And when we realize that our goal is to seek his will and living according to his righteousness, we suddenly realize, I have everything I need. Stop trying to provide for yourself by focusing on things. Focus on Christ. And you'll find that all these things will be added unto you. He repeats the command a third time. Take therefore no thought in verse 34. Interesting when you look at the verbs in the text. Verse 25, the verb form is a a present imperative. That means stop doing something that you're presently in the habit of doing. Stop worrying. 
And then in verse 31 and 34, he uses an aorist subjunctive, which means don't ever worry. So stop worrying and don't ever worry again. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. John Newton wrote, I compare the troubles which we have to undergo in the course of the year to a great bundle of sticks, far too large for us to lift. But God does not require us to carry the whole at once. He mercifully unties the bundle and gives first one stick, which we're to carry today, and then another, which we're to carry tomorrow, and so on. This, might easily ma- this we might easily manage if we would only take the burden appointed for us each day. But we choose to increase our troubles by carrying yesterday's stick again today and adding tomorrow's burden to our load before we're required to bear it. You'll face troubles tomorrow, but you don't have to worry. Your heavenly Father, who's in control of your life and doesn't bring anything into your life that he doesn't have a providential reason for, and he will help you to carry that, That father who's in control of your life today will provide for your needs tomorrow as well. He knows about everything that you're going to face. In fact, he's planned them for you, for your good, for his glory. He'll give you the ability to face those things without any cause for worry or concern. When we get to that point in our lives where we stop worrying, where we're not anxious anymore because we have built into our faith a greater trust in God as our Father, we'll be able to sing strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord unto me. Oh, that we would learn to trust in our loving Heavenly Father. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you'd help us as we go through these verses, went through these verses this morning that are so familiar to us, and yet we often find ourselves closing our Bible and starting again to pick up where we left off worrying. Help us to realize that you as our Father are loving. You provide everything that we've ever needed and ever will. And so I pray that you'd help us to trust you more. I pray that if there's one today here in this auditorium who doesn't know you as their father, that today will be the day that they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, have their sins forgiven, have their eternity settled, and know that they're in your family. We pray that you'll bless in this invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.